Well, this morning, we turn to the final book in the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi means my messenger, by the way. And it's interesting that as the Old Testament comes to an end, the words turn to the future about what's about to come. We have this in our passage here and then at the very end of the book as well with the promise of the return of Elijah. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. Remain standing for the song. Malachi says, speaking for the Lord, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. He will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. The Word of God. We're hanging the wreaths, the garlands, all the preparation, looking forward to a time of celebration and of joy. Most of us uh, love Christmas. And each one of us has probably already been going through what we need to get done before the big day arrives. But I want to spend the time today challenging you to do a couple of things. Not just today, but from now until Christmas Day arrives. I want to challenge you to use this period of time to do two special things that will not only bring blessings to your Christmas, but will provide blessings for you all year long. Yesterday, we happened to be in Georgetown, uh, where one of my sons lives, and we'd gone down there to take the grandkids shopping for Christmas. And we were sitting there early in the morning drinking coffee, and the kids were all bundled up on the sofas and in the chairs and everything. And they were watching television, and they were watching shows that my son had uh, recorded for them, Christmas shows. And I was struck by, and especially thinking about this text for today, I was struck by the, the juxtaposition of two of those shows that we watched. The first show was... Charlie Brown's Christmas. 
All right, yeah, everybody smiles when you say Charlie Brown's Christmas. As soon as you say a Charlie Brown Christmas, you start hearing the music playing, don't you? And, and you know that story and how sweet it is. And in that story, there comes a time for the telling of the Christmas story. And Linus tells the story of Christmas. And what does he tell? Luke chapter 2 the story of the birth of Jesus. Now, after that show, there was another show that I hadn't seen before. Shrek the Halls. (laughs) I don't know, did that just come out, or has it been out a while and I just missed it? I don't know. Shrek the Halls is a little different from a Charlie Brown Christmas in many ways. But one thing it has in common is that there comes a point where the Christmas story is supposed to be told. And when it comes to that time, and and Shrek is following along a manual of how to do Christmas. You'd have to watch the show. Some of you have, probably. And it comes to the point that he's supposed to tell the Christmas story. And I thought, well, maybe there's going to be something worthwhile about this anyway. Guess what the Christmas story was? "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house." I wanted to say, wait a minute. That is not the Christmas story. Charlie Brown Christmas was made in 1965. Shrek, I don't know, recently was made. And I was struck by the contrast of where we've come in our culture with trying to identify what the Christmas story is. Now, I know if you grew up in churches of Christ, we used to spend some time pointing out that we don't know when Jesus was born, and it may not have been on December 25th. In fact, it probably wasn't on December 25th. And I understand that argument, as well as most of the people that we were making it to, they understood it as well. But I think we all have to agree that where our culture is going and what we are doing begs us to use whatever opportunity we have to tell the real Christmas story. To tell the story that changed the world. To tell the story that we serve a God who loves us so much that He was not willing just simply to give up on His creation, to abandon us to our own ways, but that he, sought, he set out to bring us back to himself. And that in his wisdom and goodness and mercy, he knew that the only way to do that was for he himself, in the person of his son Jesus, to be born as a human being. And to be born as a baby to a poor couple in a small town in a manger. That kind of humility to bring himself down to that point so that he might reach out to us. So I want to challenge you over these next days to spend time meditating, pondering, reading, thinking, praying, what that means that we have that kind of God. And what happened 
whenever he wrapped himself in flesh and came to live among us. And that he chose to do that from the very beginning point of human life as just a newborn baby. The second thing I want to challenge us for is that we get ourselves ready to pick that baby up and hold him. We're about to have a new baby in our family. We're excited about that. And we're always excited that first time to get to hold the child. I'm not real good with newborns. Uh, I know many of you I've visited in the hospital, and you're so kind. And whenever your baby is born, and you say, here, you want to hold him? And I go, I don't know. You know. When they get to be about six months, nine months old, then I can throw them in the air, and we're good to go, okay? But newborns, but when I do realize that I'm about to embrace a newborn child, what's the first thing that comes to my mind? Are my hands clean? You know, I want to be clean. I want to make sure, have I not been touching something impure, something unclean, something dirty? Because I want to cradle this pure baby and hold him without bringing any uncleanness into his life. So the second challenge I would like to issue today is that we spend these days preparing for the birth of Christ thinking about what a marvelous God we have that he would do that for us, but also washing our hands, preparing our lives to pick that baby up and embrace him as Emmanuel, God with us. I know I've mentioned several times that one of my favorite authors is Flannery O'Connor. Does anyone else read Flannery O'Connor? Uh, she was an author that lived and worked in the middle of the last century. She was a southern author. She was a very devout author, and she was weird. That's probably why I like her so much. She wrote very bizarre stories. Her stories really grab hold of you. In fact, sometimes they're kind of offensive when you read them because that's what she wants to do. She wants to offend you so that you will look at yourself more deeply. One of the stories she wrote is a story called Revelation. And this is a story about a lady named Ruby Turpin. And Ruby was a farmer's wife living down in the south in the middle of last century. And Ruby was a good woman. And she knew she was a good woman. And she was thankful that she was a good woman. In fact, she spent a lot of her time thanking God that he had given her such a wonderful life to enjoy. First of all, he created her the right color to live in the South in the 1950s, and she was grateful for that. And he also had given her the means to own a home, because after all, those people that just rented their houses weren't quite on the same social level as the people who actually owned a home. And she was grateful for that. And she was grateful that her husband and her owned a piece of land, that they had a farm. Because after all, landowners were even a little more special. And she realized that, and she was grateful for that. Now, Ruby knew that she wasn't perfect, and she would admit she's not perfect. But you know, that little dose of humility made her even better. And she was grateful 
to be such a humble person that recognized that she was not perfect. Well, the story opens with Ruby and her husband going into the doctor's office. Her husband had gotten kicked by a cow on the leg, and he was going in to get that treated. So Ruby walked into a crowded waiting room and began looking around for a place to sit and began immediately noticing who else was there because Ruby was really good at sizing people up about who they were. And certainly she was uh, very much aware that there was a poor lady sitting over there on the edge of the sofa, and she had a young boy that was uh, obviously ill, uh, but he was restless, and she was letting him lie across the rest of the sofa. Well, you know, any good Christian woman would have told the boy to get up and let a woman sit down, but that's okay. You know, she was not going to criticize, so she finds another place to sit down. And she begins looking. Not only is there the woman there who's, by the way, her shoes were awful. I mean, Ruby would have never worn those shoes with that dress that that woman had on. But that's okay. It's beside the point, all right? And there were other people around that she began looking at. And some people of different race. And she kind of wondered why they had to be there in the room with her as well. And, but there was one woman who was a, a lot like Ruby. She dressed much like Ruby and seemed to be, you know, has some sense. And so Ruby began talking with her, and they began discussing the, the situation in the world and how terrible it was that so many people were doing things that were so bad, and so on and so forth. And they both began talking about how glad they were they weren't like that. They were just thankful that God had not made them like that, that they were kind of people who were upstanding, law-abiding, clean and they just knew how to conduct themselves. Well, this other lady had a daughter that she had brought to the doctor. The daughter was about college age, and she was sitting there reading a book on human development. And as Ruby and her newfound friend were visiting, every once in a while, the daughter would look at Ruby and scowl. And Ruby thought, what is wrong with her? You know, why would she be scowling at me? After all, I'm one of the two people in this room that's obviously got some sense about them and is a good, respectable person. Why is she scowling at me? So the, the, other, the girl's mother and Ruby kept talking, and they were talking. And right when they got to a point that something had been said, and Ruby said, well, I'm just so thankful God didn't make me like that. The girl stood up and threw the book across the room and hit Ruby right in the forehead. Knocked her to the floor. The girl jumped up, ran over, began choking Ruby, and said, You are a warthog from hell. <laughs> well, there was quite a stir in the room, as you can imagine. The doctor came out, the nurse, they sedated the girl, got her off to the hospital. And you would have thought that Ruby would have been highly indignant at being treated in such a way. But that knock on the head did something for Ruby. She began wondering if it were not a sign from God. She and her husband made their way home quietly. They laid down for a nap. The husband slept, and Ruby lay there on the bed wondering, Am I a warthog from hell? I thought I was saved. How can I be from hell and be saved too. Well, about that time, her husband got up and 
he had to go pick up the, the hands that they had working in the field. And Ruby, being the good Christian woman that she was, always made a bucket of ice water for the hands that had been working all day. So as they came in to the, to the house there, she was serving them. They were quite concerned about the bump on her head. But she said, oh, it's nothing. And as they were leaving, Ruby had a vision. And in this vision, she looked up into heaven. And there was a procession of people ascending into heaven. And at the front of the list, or the front of the line, were people who were a different color from her. Behind them were people that were obviously poor. Behind them were people who had obviously drank too much in their lives. Behind them, and on and on, And she kept looking for her group. And suddenly she noticed there was her group. They were going to heaven, but they were at the end of the line. They were the only ones marching in step. They were the only ones singing in tune. And they were at the end of the line. But the main thing she noticed was this. That as they ascended into heaven, all the faults... And all of the struggles of the people began to be burned away. And for the first time in their lives, they were clean. And she noticed that even in her group, that they were changing. And the very things they thought were virtues and that made them better than other people were beginning to be burned away. She reached up and rubbed the knot on her forehead. And thought, hallelujah. The girl that threw the book that hit Ruby in the forehead, by the way, her name was Grace. You know, when we think about grace, we think about God's love and his forgiveness and his mercy and his kindness. And that truly is what grace is. But one of the functions of grace The other side of grace is that God also, in His grace, lets us know what's holding us down and what's wrong with us. How unkind it would be of God to let us continue in our bigotry, in our prejudices, in our our, uh, uh, hidden sins, and, and just let us be who we are. But His grace was sent so that we might come to the light and see ourselves for who we are and to realize that we're no better than anyone else, to realize that some people have one problem, I have another, and to realize except for the mercy and the grace of God, except for His purification, except for His cleansing, we are all warthogs from hell. Now, This is the message of Malachi. (laughs) You thought I forgot about Malachi, didn't you? Let's turn back to that just for a moment. Spend just a couple of minutes with Malachi and see what's going on. Malachi is living at a time when people have become very judgmental of others. And they're also concerned because God doesn't seem to be addressing the evil in other people's lives. Why doesn't God fix these other people and make them the way they're supposed to be? So Malachi addresses that, and he says, you know what? God is tired of hearing that. 
And people, what's God tired of hearing? He says, God is tired of hearing how you think he is favoring certain people who you judge as evil. And God is tired of you crying out, God, when are you going to show up and do something? And he says, I want to tell you something. God is going to show up, and God will do something. But he said, let me ask you a question. Can you handle it? Will you be able to stand in the day of the Lord? Because he says, the Lord is coming to purify people. The Lord is coming to get rid of all the things in their lives that should not be there. Are you ready for that? He compares it to two images. He says, when the Lord shows up, he's going to be like a fuller washing cloth with soap. Now, right there we go, well, okay, I can handle that. God, give me a bath, wash me off. But he doesn't mean soap that is ivory soap or dove or dial or whatever brand we stick in the shower. He says fuller soap. Fuller soap is lye soap. Fuller soap is very caustic because a fuller did not just wash clothing. A fuller took cloth that was brand new and still had animal oil and residue in it and had to get that out so that people could wear it. And to wash a fuller for a fuller wash poured this caustic lye soap on them, twisted it, beat them against rocks, stomped on it, rinsed them, repeat. It was a rigorous, difficult process. And he says, and God's coming will be like a refiner's fire. He's going to refine you like metal, silver, and gold. A refiner's fire is not the kind of fire we have in the fireplace that's bright and cheery and happy. It is a fire that is fed by oxygen so that it glows so hot that it melts, melts even metal. And it will melt away all the impurities in the metal. And the refiner will stand there and watch as that metal bubbles and as the impurities are, are burned away until he can look over into that pot and see his own reflection in the bright and shining silver metal. Malachi says, that's what our God is going to do. And if we keep reading Malachi, we see that he's going to do it to his own people. Not to all those other folks that need it. You know, they're the ones that need to be changed. I don't. But God says, I'm going to start with my own people, number one, because they ought to know better. But also, because us good folks sometimes, our sins take a lot more work to get rid of because we buried them a little deeper than everyone else. Or we've covered them over with virtue and excuses, and rationalizations. Jesus once said that the prostitutes and the publicans would enter heaven before the righteous. And this is exactly what he's talking about. Because people who are great sinners and public sinners, they can't hide it, they can't deny it. They just got to admit it. But sometimes we, his folks, his people, we're good at tucking them away not letting anyone see, not even letting ourselves see our sins. It's easy for us to become a Ruby Turpin.
What kind of sins was he talking about? Malachi gives some examples here, and these are examples only in verse 5. These people were blind to things like sorcery. Okay, we're good about that. I don't think we have any sorcerers in here, do we? Adultery? I don't know. Lying? I don't know. Those who oppress people who work every day for little money, those who hold them back in their lives, those who don't care about the widows and the orphans, and as my Bible says, and those who thrust aside the foreigner or the stranger or the alien. Now, that's a beginning list. But I want to challenge you in the next days to come. As you prepare to welcome God in the form of a little baby. That you examine your life carefully. And realize that there are things in your life that need to be gotten out. That need to be washed and made clean. That need to be refined with the refiner's fire. So that you can reach out and pick that little baby up. Emmanuel, God with us, and hold him close. That's our challenge. Let's do it wisely. We're going to stand, we're going to sing a song. We're going to have some people standing around here on the sides. They're there for you, and you can go there for the, to them for a multitude of reasons. If you're struggling with a health problem, or you have a friend or a relative that's struggling, go and let them pray with you. My, my, never turn down an opportunity to pray to the God who loves us and who heals. But you may want to struggle with something that is going on with you and inside you that you can name right now. Go to them. Let them pray with you. Or perhaps right now, you're looking at your life and saying, I don't see anything. Then by all means, go to them. And pray to them, with them, that your eyes might be opened and that we may see that we need the fire and soap of our Lord. Let's stand and sing.